Welcome to this episode of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. Today we're discussing the question of if everybody always had to do exactly what you said, what does it mean that you never hear the word no? We're talking about the ethical makeup of characters like Purple Man from Jessica Jones and Empath from X-Men and all the questions that go around when you're not just spoiled, but it's taken to the nth degree. All that more after a commercial break we have no control over. I'm Matthew, your host, and I'm joined today, I'm really excited to say, by both of the co-hosts of the Hype is My Superpower podcast, uh, Steve Storman and Will Freeland. How are you both doing today? Doing great. Uh, what a great commercial break, also. I, uh, <laughs> well done. Can that you imagine you, that's you, what they're you say right you, now? You say you... I know. Gosh. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, great to be here. I'm Steve, uh, and uh, yeah, really happy to be back on the pod. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, Steve, by the look on your face, although you're being very gracious not to say anything, which is odd from a New Yorker, I assume I horribly mispronounced your last name. So can you say it for for the, for posterity? I think you got it. I, I, it. Either you got it right, or I'm so used to it being mispronounced that it didn't even register. It's Stormin. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Pretend like the, o, the second O is not there. And, uh, you know, I've only been a New Yorker. For, I've only lived in New York for two years, so I... I you know, I've only been through one horrific disaster. Uh, okay, I don't think I count. I, I only have one on my punch card yet. Anybody who's been here since 9-11, Sandy, the blackout would probably, mm-hmm. you know, take issue to <laughs> me getting that funny. title so quickly. <laughs> you, you still believe in crazy things like saying hello to people on the street. But don't worry, New York will grind that out of you eventually. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> so, well, I, I'm so glad I had both of you here. Uh, I love your podcast. I love getting to talk to each of you individually, but especially the... The two of you are great chemistry. It's great to have all three of us here. And just let folks know, uh, this podcast started because I reached out to the two of them and said, hey, I want you on the podcast. What do you want to discuss? And you were bouncing around this ethical thing about the character from Empath, from a new X-Men story. Uh, Empath being a character who, as I understand it, uh, you know, whatever they say, people have to do it. Uh, Which reminds me a lot of Purple Man from Jessica Jones, a character who I have always found... Utterly fascinating, um, particularly in the uh, portrayal by David Tennant in the Netflix TV show, but also that's one of the few comic books where I actually have read quite a bit of it. Mm. Uh, The Purple Man series is just such a brilliant use of art, if nothing else, in terms Mm. of all the ways that Purple shades the the comics, even when Jessica's not trying to think of him, just kind of showing her sort of overall uh, how much he affects her life until she's finally free of that. Yes. uh, Once I heard Purple Man in this, I was so psyched for this topic. (laughs) uh yeah so uh for me uh both purple man and empath i've only seen a little bit of in the comics um Mm -hmm. for listeners who don't know so one this is will hi uh but also um i read i do my best to read all of marvel 616 the main marvel universe but only from like I've only started reading from like 2002, 2003 on Mm. and uh, Kilgrave or sorry, Purple Man. uh, His name is Zebediah Kilgrave. He was introduced in the comics back in the 60s um, Mm. and he like really came to the front in uh, Alias Mm. uh, for the Jessica Jones story. Um, But I didn't read that. And the next time I saw him, uh, every time I've seen him since he's been like, a single story arc character mm, makes sense. Uh, that's only he ends up being the one that manipulated the situation in the background this that and the other right. um and so <clears throat> my ex- and then my exposure to empath he's an, a much older character i think he was introduced in the 80s 90s 80s yeah yeah and then um for me as a reader he's only shown up just recently like last year during uh, this krakoa era of of x-men yeah, uh, I, I also have yeah. this horrible disease where I'm trying to be a completionist about reading all of the X-Men comics. And so uh-huh. I know I've I've read most most things Empath has ever been in, uh, but also comparatively little uh, Purple Man. But nice. I, I have there's another character who I'd like to discuss later in this who I have read a little bit of. So. Yeah. Awesome. Have you both seen the Netflix Jessica Jones show? Totally. Oh, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I, awesome. I don't think we're going to get through this uh, entire 
uh, recording without at least five instances of Will doing his David Tennant impression. <laughs> I've been I've been trying so hard. I'm, I'm, I am here for it. I'm here for it. Um, Will, what's the name of the character that uh, Purple Man is so obsessed with? In the, oh, Jessica. Uh, yeah, there you go. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I'm I, I'm a little excited to this, and let, let's just start with Purple Man a bit, and then kind of dive into the empath thing because I know that's sure. something. You two have discussed on your own uh, podcast a bit recently, and that's kind of where all this came together. I I read Alias, but I especially got like really pulled into the character of Jessica of uh, the Purple Man of Kilgrave mm-hmm. uh, through that Netflix TV show. I think that's where a lot of our listeners probably most know him from. Yeah. Although I think it's a fairly accurate kind of portrayal compared to the what I what I, I know of him in the comics. And for most of that show, especially as well as the comic book, he is. Iago levels of evil, you know, in terms of it's not even mustache twirling, but just there is nothing redeemable. There's nothing to ever say like this is a, you know, person we should feel sympathy for or even have like Killmonger or um, Magneto levels of maybe they have a point. (laughs) Except that there's one or two moments in the later episodes of that show where, first of all, they show you that he was horribly abused by his parents. And had just an awful childhood. And I, I like that there the show does a good job of showing, like, this helps explain how much of a monster he is without justifying it. Yeah. But you do feel almost a little bit of sympathy, even though he's obviously this horrible person. But then he also has a moment where he says, like, he, he basically talks about how if everybody always says yes to him, how horrible that is. Because he can't just say, you know, oh, gosh, I... You know, I wish someone would just push that guy off a bridge. You know, just the way the kind of things we all might say in frustration of just like, oh, I'm so pissed at this person. Like, I just want to blow up that building. He says that, and like, wow, I sound like a sociopath myself <laughs> saying those things. But you know, like, you know, you're talking about like, ah, how great would it be if school burned down? We didn't have to go do homework tomorrow. Like, yeah, he says Anybody that someone's going to go play burn- a video game. Totally understands. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, someone's going to go burn down that, uh, you know, school school building now. Like. And that was something that always stuck with me, and I always wanted to explore further because, again, I don't want to justify him in any way. But I under it got me thinking about like, yeah, when, when you're never told no, like that that does something to your personality. It warps mm. your personality in a way. Uh, you see this just with people who are spoiled in any way. Um, on another podcast that I'm on right now, the Marvel Movie Minute, that I think both of you are either have or are going to appear as guests. We've been talking about how much Thor at the start of the, the first Thor movie is a very spoiled child. No one's ever told him no and how that affects him. And I so I love you to kind of see Purple Man in a similar light. And so let's just kind of start there before we get into the empath side of things. What what's kind of your take on on Purple Man and especially that that aspect of his of, of who he is? Yeah, I feel like the other the other moment from late in the Jessica Jones series is that I don't know how accurately I'm remembering this, but I feel like there's a moment in which it's either in the series or or in Alias, the comics, where he really believes that he's in love with Jessica. Like, Mm -hmm. he he thinks that, you know, uh, that there's some genuine emotion attachment either, you know, uh, from his part or or whatever. And and there's just, I mean, there's, yeah, how, how, how would you... Even uh, how would you have authentic emotions of your own without genuine communication, love, trust, empathy, respect, you know, all of these things that defines you that are created through meeting another person as a person, as themselves, as an individual that's separate from you. Real, go, you know, going all the way into the nature of the self, even. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, and I like that idea. It's like, how do you self-actualize yourself in that kind of way when you don't Mm -hmm. ever have everyone else? No one can self-actualize themselves around you because whatever they're – no one can ever actually have interest in you. No one can ever actually have desire for you. You know, it's – you often will have characters or people in real life who talk about how because they have so much money or because they are so stunningly beautiful or because they have – you know, they're a prince or whatever it is or a princess – that there's a frustration of like, does this person want me for me or do they just want me for my body or my money or something like that? And I can, I, again, like I feel so dirty even talking about <laughs> being sympathetic to this monster, but but I can understand how that would be such a hard part of finding yourself in any kind of way. Yeah, like it, it's, 
I whenever I think of that about that kind of like analysis, I always I have to remind myself that Kilgrave doesn't have control over when he uses his mind control like influence ability. Right. It's always on. So literally every single word he says could end up being an accidental command. <laughs> like I can't even imagine like stubbing my toe on accident in public and then accidentally making someone go kill themselves because I said, oh, the fuck off. Like, <laughs> like it's just, it's it's mind-blowing. Like, you either kind of take, you kind of have to go along, like, one of two paths. Like, you fully embrace it, and which turns you into a, just a terrible person, or you just stop talking to people. <laughs> yeah. And, like, you're walking on the thinnest of glass, all the eggshells, um, 24-7. And I can't imagine either of those paths for me it's just that's just it's crazy it's wild yeah and i think one of you put into the notes something about pur- uh that there's also a character named purple girl who kind of explores how this looks differently from uh in gender perspectives yeah and i, I think that that's a, a real fascinating so purple girl is uh his daughter uh mm-hmm. in the comics and you know this was not not the product of a consensual relationship uh and so her upbringing you know it was she didn't know that you know her true uh parentage until she reached a certain age she developed you know purple skin and these sort of pheromone powers and started getting this uh you know power suggestion over people but she is actually able to control it uh Mm. not perfectly not very well uh, sometimes, but she at least has some ability to turn it off. Uh, you know, emotion when she's, you know, it, it, with emotions or she's getting carried away, like it can, it can, you know, come out of her un, uh, unbidden, but uh, it, it kind of raises for Purple Man, you know, maybe he does and he never saw it fit to, to develop that or, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know extend that in the same way he wasn't maybe wasn't horrified in the same way by these powers mm-hmm. as she is because the trauma is part of her upbringing the trauma that other people feel from those powers is an essential part of who she is and i think that is in some ways you know unique to her parentage but in a lot of ways uh about the sort of gendered power fantasy of these uh of these powers that when they're visited through this male character everything that he gets is you know uh sex and respect you know and uh and riches and creature comforts and her story is so much more about you know trying to have authentic relationships with people and working on it and trying to do you know good with these powers and you know she joins the canadian superhero team alpha flight who have a host of their own problems but uh-huh. you know uh <laughs> she uh you know she's presented mostly as a hero and i think that it's uh you know we can read a lot into the gendered presentation of these two characters um another question that you you set up for purple man is could he have his oh sorry I, 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 you 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 sort of dumped a huge can of worms there on the yeah. table that I wanted to jump into <laughs> so, a bit yeah um, yeah yeah because that that makes me super fascinated to to hear about especially because one of the things that I've always thought purple man was interesting as was as kind of a metaphor for understanding toxic masculinity in absolutely that, for me one of the things that I really had to learn was that you know I grew up thinking. My voice is the same as anyone else's. And if I say, hey, can we do this? Anyone's always free to say, like, yes, I'd love to do that. Or, oh, no, thank you. And having to realize that, like, my my privilege, primarily the fact that I'm um, I, I'm non-binary, but I certainly present to the world as male. And I've been uh, – I, I did identify as male for most of my life, but also my whiteness, my education level, uh, my extrovertedness, whatever it is, um, you know, means that for some people my voice does carry more weight than I might want it to. And that just sort of, you know – having an attitude of, hey, can we do this without recognizing there might be like power dynamics that aren't being understood there. And then it might be harder for some folks to say no in some situations. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something that was really hard for me to learn. And I, I definitely was kind of a jerk about it and hurt some people before mm-hmm. I really figured it all out. I've not by any means figured it all out, but you know what I mean? Kind of had that awakening. And yeah, that was sure. a part of the Purple Man story that I could really see of like, yeah, this is, 
you know, most of us I don't think have that level of power, but I think a lot of people have, we are much more persuasive sometimes than I think we give ourselves credit for. And that can be, there's always an assumption of, well, someone can always just say no. And I don't just mean in like romantic or sexual things. I mean, in anything, you know, but it's kind of like a, you know, a boss saying to their employee, hey, do you mind staying late tonight? The boss might think I'm giving the employee the choice, but the employee is thinking, well, if I say no, am I going to get in trouble? And so, yeah, to me, I think there's just such a great metaphor there for Purple Man, primarily for, for masculine presenting folks, but for anybody in positions of power or privilege that we might think we're saying, you know, a person could think they're saying, we might think we're saying, hey, here's a thing, you can say no, but it's actually a lot harder for folks to say no in some situations than we might think. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, and to even just go along with that, uh, in the comics, there's been... Uh, Kara or Kara uh, Kilgrave, his daughter, but there's also been uh, recently six other of his children. <laughs> um, <Okay>. One is <laughs> one is also an adult, uh, his son Benjamin, and he has been presented so far as a villain. Um, same purple skin. Uh, it's implied that he's got the same powers. Uh, and then there's also this group called the Purple Children. <laughs> um, which are not his genetic children, uh, but they have been given his same abilities. Um, and there's like three boys and like two girls, but they're all like five years old. So like they haven't come, uh, they haven't like decided what their identity or like right. how they want to use their ability is. Um, they were involved in making the world forget that Matt Murdock is Daredevil. One mm-hmm. of the the most recent times that he's uh, <laughs> had the world forget. <laughs> um, and that was that was the purple children. There's like, there's five of them. Of them. They have glowing purple eyes and it's very creepy. But um, but yeah, Benjamin and Kara. So like Benjamin is, he seems, he was working with, with his father on his latest uh, situation scheme. And uh, one must assume that he is not a very good guy. And Kara, uh, uh, purple girl, Kara Kilgrave, she, um, she's, um, she, her powers didn't develop until she was in adolescence. And so she had at least some amount of, you know, Mm -hmm. growing up, being able to speak with other people as individuals, encounter the unknowable other uh to an extent and without having total control over them and i can see that being very different from you know growing up with it and in this sort of like ego response want you know uh reward uh situation yeah yeah I mean, and that's what we're gonna get into with beast as well uh, with empath and beast i mean is that yes. you know to have that experience of of recognizing that people might not like the things you ask them for or that you can cause pain or as you said that the trauma of that to me i can understand why she has such a very different experience because that that'd be such mm-hmm. a big thing and it kind of gets me to the the question that i think steve you were kind of leading me into uh that i put in the notes and i think it's gonna be the kind of overall question of this episode we can start just with purple man and then let's talk about empath and how that that changes things is could you have this power and not wind up being evil um could do you think you could grow up <laughs> Never having people say no to you, never having people, you know, tell you that they don't want to do a thing that you want, that they want something else instead, never having to wrestle with what does it mean to live in a world where your wants and desires aren't the same as other people's and not turn out to be someone like Purple Man. What do you think? I want to say that you could grow up a decent person, but I don't think you can. Mm -hmm. Like... you grow as a person through like adversity and figuring out like yourself and and how you react to situations that are out of your control but if you control every situation and you never are and and we, we go into it with with that entry from beast but like if you if every interaction you've had for everything you've ever done is positively reinforced when are you ever going to figure out that what you just did was you shouldn't do to other people or to the world or to um, like your pet or anything? Right. I do think that though, that uh, 
Purple Man has had enough opposition to himself over the course of his life that he there's some there there's some crack in the foundation is there he knows that somebody you know can resist him is against him that there's some part of the world that isn't under his control and uh and he seems to have knowledge of how it works you know that it's through speaking um and i I think that it's a power that can't be used for good but if you have that ability to reach other people as individuals then yeah you have the responsibility to not use the power right and and in purple man's not defense but i think an important thing for him is he doesn't just have the power he also has this horrifically abusive childhood by yeah. parents who treat him like a lab specimen and, and and it is an interesting thing to wonder like could you have parents who would at least explain to him why him asking for those things is hard or you know why it causes them pain or or show him enough because i think one thing that can i want to be very careful here because i think often more recently films have kind of gotten to the idea of like oh yeah someone who has a lot of abuse or ptsd in their childhood or anything like that can turn into a villain and kind of make it seem like all people who do become yeah. sociopaths or psychopaths or anything like that. 100,000 million percent, not the case. Right. And I'm not saying that, therefore, that also is like, you know, people can be horribly treated the way Kilgrave was and not turn out to be who he is. But it's certainly one thing – it is certainly a, a reason for in his case. And one thing that can happen is that when you when, – when you're shown people who just want to use you for those ends – the idea that there's anything wrong with you using them for your own ends never really. Mm. So I think Purple Man, he kind of had both of those strikes against him. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to kind of tease apart, but it's a great question. Mm-hmm. And so with that, let's kind of look at uh, this other example of it that you all brought to me. Um, and Empath, I believe, is not a character who's appeared on screen in any kind of meaningful way. Am I right? Maybe in the. No. Okay. So so give us the setup and then because uh, what kind of started this all is apparently a thing that in one of the more recent comic books. Beast writes as kind of like a, a report on his work with Empath that I think is just so perfect. So start out just by telling us a little bit more about these characters and kind of what leads up to that moment. And then let's talk about the writing itself. Yeah. And we saw this and we immediately thought of you because this yeah. is, awesome. this is, you know, just ethics writ large, just, you know, riven all through this. And I think powers wise, the crucial difference maybe between, uh, I guess I don't know enough about how purple man's powers work but empaths powers are um emotional rather than uh like mental control and Mm -hmm. so it's not just that he makes people do what he wants he changes how they feel you know they genuinely feel uh you know adulation or positive you know positive towards him no matter what his actions are in some ways, that's even more powerful than Purple Man because, and maybe again, he when he's too young, he doesn't learn this. But you see in the show and in the comics, you know, if Purple Man tells a person to go kill themselves, they have this look of horror on their face. Yeah. And they, they can't tell him no, but clearly they don't like this idea. And so he gets that level of negative reinforcement that he ignores. It sounds like Empath doesn't even have that. Absolutely, yeah. And, and with Empath, is it, is it unconscious in the same way as for Purple Man that, like— can can empath decide not to use his power and let people be sad in his presence, or is it just always going to be, you you cannot feel emotions he doesn't subconsciously want you to in his presence. Uh, it, it seems to be more of a conscious, you know, turn on and off. But mm-hmm. it for something that powerful or that deep that goes you know into the deepest parts of yourself, how can you really know? what he is affecting and what he isn't uh they they definitely show on panel on page in the comics instances where he is quote using his powers and it's abundantly clear but like you know maybe he was using it all the time and this is the the more aggressive you know or obvious variant of it now now, is he presented as a hero, as a villain, as someone kind of caught in the middle? What what kind of ethical role does he play in the comics? Overwhelmingly villain. Uh, yeah. He he was originally one of uh, uh, Emma Frost's students in her original group, the Hellions. Um, and uh, they were presented as the sort of, you know, evil counterparts to uh, 
you know, to Xavier's young students, the New Mutants, but that all of the other Hellions were more or less redeemed at some point or killed off. And he was the only one. They tried to redeem him at one point, and he had a relationship with Magma, uh, one of the New Mutants characters. Uh, they tried to make it work, and then she just couldn't figure out at a certain point where, you know, he ended and she began. And, so, and she was already pretty messed up from a lot of other things and, and called it off. And he never really went back to, to being a redeemed or redeemable character after that. Will, do you have any more uh, empath notes? Um, no. So I, I, uh, in the little bit that I've seen him, it feels like, uh, he can at least direct where his mutant mm-hmm. ability or like who his mutant ability is affecting. It's not like it's just everyone within a certain radius. Right. Um, like he like can like look, it's almost as if like the people he, he concentrates on are the ones that are uh, mm-hmm. manipulated emotionally. Um, and then as people show up and he like addresses you all of a sudden, that's when you get affected. Uh, and so like it the, it doesn't really change the context of the question <laughs> yeah uh, because it's st- it's still all of his interactions seem to be um have the have the potential to be manipulated by his mutant ability um, right. so yeah I, eh. I guess one one situation that i can remember where his powers were used for good was uh calming like a a, a panic uh, there were, do you remember this, Will? It was in like the Morrison new X-Men when, um, weapon whatever got out of the world and, uh, and they're like chasing it down. And, uh, this is the, the storyline where Darkstar died and he's, he's part of that team who's like trying to evacuate a group of people and they're all like panicked and stampeding and he calms them down. Oh, that sounds familiar. Yeah. So there has been positive applications of his uh, powers before. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and I can imagine that even some of the stuff that by now is incredibly negative could even start from a very positive place, you know? Mm. Um, uh, anyone who's any kind of background in therapy or even just if you pay attention on, like, you know, Facebook or TikTok to the discussions about, like, how to be a good friend versus a bad friend can, can know, like, you know, if a friend of yours is sad, cheering them up is often a really good thing you can do. But sure. there's a real question of like, are you doing this because you want them, you care about them and you want them to feel better? Or are you doing this because other people being sad around you is unpleasant for you? Mm-hmm. And and there can be, a you know, the line of like toxic positive, the line of like toxic positivity and stuff like that of, you know, when it's not you want to help them experience what they need to experience and go through it and come out OK. But just, hey, let's put a smile on your face right now. And the person never gets to deal with the stuff they have to deal with. And that can be, you know, really harmful. I, I, I don't know much about this character, but I can easily see that sort of person of like, oh, you know, I don't want mom crying around me or I don't want, you know, this person crying around me. I'm going to cheer them up and not, you know, at first, that's great positive reinforcement. People are happy around you. I, mm-hmm. you know, I think people love generating positive emotions in other people. When I cook mm-hmm. for people, when I create music or whatever, I love that it seems to create positive emotions. And I could see that being something that someone would really love and it become very hard. Yeah. As you kind of said, the same self-actualization questions of, of Purple Man of when are you actually having this and when are you forcing it and how do you know the difference? Absolutely. Yeah. It kind of, it also, to, in, in terms of like using your power to um, make people happy or using the power to manipulate others and doing whatever the hell you want them to do. Um, I think it kind of depends on when your that ability manifests. Mm. Like if it manifests when you're a young child um, and you haven't figured out, you haven't gone through the like um, experiments of life to fi- to figure out mm-hmm. what is intrinsic- intrinsically good or bad, then this could lead down the path of an empath as opposed to like say getting this, ability as like a young adult or like in your 20s um which is still kind of a young adult but not traditionally defined as such um (laughs) it's a young uh, adult supposed to pay taxes (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh but like i feel like 
developing that ability then where you have more of a sense of self and what you want to do and be in the world it could be a good thing it could be used right. as a good thing definitely and you go so, like, so talk you now about that centers. particular writing uh but what's the situation where beast is kind of studying him and then what what's the actual writing absolutely so um we have uh empath is uh he's he's uh recruited into this team of sort of uh violent or antisocial or generally unfixable mutants in this broader mutant society which is the current sort of status quo for x-men comics right now and they all live on this island that is actually everywhere in the universe <laughs> because of teleportation called krakoa and um and he you, you, we just see a scene of him uh like forcing uh three of his friends uh or quote-unquote friends former teammates on the hellions uh who've been brought back to life because comics uh to just <laughs> fight each other for his amusement and then another one of his former teammates comes in with a look of horror and then he manipulates that that guy to you know enjoy the fight and you know uh egg them on and so on and then he gets bored and walks away and he just has this privileged look on his face of just ugh the whole time yeah. right he looks like your like textbook rich suburb white kid that uh-huh. like the only time he's gone outside uh and interacted with people is at the tennis club kind of a thing <laughs> he's got like he's got like the short blonde hair the blue eyes the smug look on his face oh it's just, it's infuriating <laughs> and we're we're both from santa barbara california so we've seen a lot of that <laughs> yeah <laughs> when i was a kid or when i was a teenager i was a uh, counselor at a uh i got a day camp for like very young kids like three to seven or so um but they were all the kids of like very rich privileged new yorkers and There'd be times where, you know, I'd tell little Johnny to pick up his toys and you could just tell no one had ever asked him to do that before. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I very much get the kind of thing you're talking about there. And I, I can totally see that. So, so then how does Beast get involved? So Beast, at this point, we all know Beast, uh, hopefully from, you know, movies and cartoons and so on. But he's the resident sort Kelsey of. Grammar, uh, for those who don't remember. Y- from the original yeah. Movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh he's he's the you know the resident sort of uh genius but also humanist but he's been put into this um humanist as you know the broad term including mutants <laughs> and he's been brought into this sort of um very morally compromising role that will has a lot of problems with <laughs> as the basically director of the uh mutant cia uh okay i can see that causing some issues yeah (laughs) and and so he is he's writing this um this uh memo basically uh about you know certain internal security problems and uh the the broader concept of this mutant nation is that you know they want to uh give every mutant the opportunity for self-actualization for you know right. uh it, it's the the combination of uh the the three sort of pillars ideologically of this society are xavier magneto and apocalypse so you've got um xavier's sort of utopian um vision of peace but also uh magneto's separatism and superiority and also uh, and also um uh, uh, apocalypse's lionization of the strong and so the the sort of um synthesis of that is uh, to to help every mutant reach their full potential as a mutant to you know fully right. express their powers their selves without uh you know uh bigoted and repressive governments of humans etc small book mark we are absolutely doing an ethics episode on krakoa then because that oh, sounds yes. so oh, fascinating but, <laughs> but anyway so okay so so beast We're, is writing this stuff he's kind of been studying empath go ahead and read what he writes because it, i think it just it it was such a gut punch to me about summarizing everything i wanted to talk about with this issue yeah uh will do you want to read this or should i uh sure let me pull it up 
Alright. So Empath's uh, human name is Manuel de la Rocha. And so this is called The Empath Problem Notes on Manuel de la Rocha. I've finally analyzed the temporal side slices Emma harvested from Manuel de la Rocha's brain. Comics. Some guys. real jargon um, there. <laughs> so, um, the results were disturbing as expected, but for an alarming reason. They revealed a cold, sadistic mind ravaged not by psychosis or genetic defect, but bad data. To explain, the brains of our species, like those of our Homo sapiens cousins, come hardwired for environmental feedback. We touch a flame, we get hurt, we never touch the flame again. So too do we look to our peers for emotional feedback. We hurt a friend, their tears shame us, we strive to bring back a, a smile. So we uh, so and so we learn to bargain, apologize, embrace, and connect. Not so empath. Upon the activation of his X gene at an atypically young age, uh, Manuel gained the power to control the emotions of others. He had only to flex his mind, and all social feedback became positive. No matter how hurtful his actions, he only experienced love and adoration in return. His insults would inspire affection. His violence, adulation. His sadism, devotion. No action was so heinous as to alienate him from his peers as they were under his thrall. Uh, environmental cause and effect, the emotional data uh, the mind relies on to form its reality, disappeared. Manuel de la Rocha is a warped, profoundly unpleasant young man, a danger to every mutant on Krakoa. But the uncomfortable truth of his case is this. A violent sociopath was not gifted the X-gene. The X-gene created a violent sociopath. Knowing this, what do we do with the other mutants whose gifts and their expression are intrinsically antisocial? How do we rehabilitate them without fundamentally rejecting their mutant identity? That is the that, question. That's a simple question. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, first, real straightforward. Yeah, exactly. So, so what do you think of, uh, first of all, his analysis? Does this sound accurate to you for what you know of the, the empath character? Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, it, it's one of those things in comics where the stories have been going on so long that even if this didn't completely jibe with everything that's come before, it's so much more thought out and it's, you know, creating a good story that, yes, roll with it. But yeah. absolutely, this is fantastic. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And, and I think the, the real key part there isn't yet yeah, a violent sociopath was not gifted the x gene the x gene created a violent sociopath right i, I mean I, I would imagine then by this set of analysis beast would say in the same way purple man like the evil that purple man is today or, or not the, the purple man the the violent sociopath however you define it was created by his power you know it seems like it's yeah. a very similar question here yeah absolutely and, and I love that idea of the bad data, because I think that kind of gets to the heart of what we're talking about here, is that so much of how we learn how to interact in the world is through the data we gather. You know, and I'm a person who, uh, I'm still figuring out where I actually fall in terms of neurodivergence, but, you know, I know I'm, I am some kind of neurodivergent ADHD and, and perhaps somewhere on, on a spectrum of some kind, I'm still figuring that out, but like, my conversations with other folks who are anywhere on uh, on those issues that's that's a phrase that i often hear is that like you know they just collect data in different ways or they have trouble getting the data that someone else might get because it's a very you know our brains are computers to some extent and and we you know it, it's funny at one point they, they say the phrase you know you touch a flame and then you never touch it again you hurt a person, you absolutely never touch, hurt them again. Like, I wish that was the case, but mm. we don't learn emotional stuff that quickly. Yeah. And it's a lot more complicated. But but I think it's true. You know, most of the things that we try to do now as good people, it's probably because we either experienced or we saw someone else experience, sometimes even at our own cause, someone else, you know, going through the opposite of that. And that's why we value the, the you know, fighting oppression or not, you know, jealousy or what, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I can absolutely empathize. I, I was also, um, you know, had undiagnosed ADHD all through, you know, childhood. And then it wasn't until just horrendous problems at work and, and you know, personal relationships and stuff that I went and sought a diagnosis. And now I'm staring down all these, you know, decades of, of 
this internalization of I'm lazy or I'm not, you know, right. capable of, of these sorts of uh, things. And no, like this is a condition that I can manage and, you know, with work and, and, uh, and all of this to, to try and, uh, you know, temper these, these uh, symptoms. So I can definitely sympathize with that. And yeah, you, you don't know what you don't know. It's very right. easy to, to build habits uh, based on, yeah, either bad data or, you know, uh, hurtful patterns or whatever. Right. And it's so interesting because it also, I mean, it's the nature of this podcast. I always want to look for the metaphor, you know. <laughs> um, one of the things that I have really found fascinating more recently is, uh, you know, with all this debate about like the 1% and the rich and stuff like that, a comment has uh, a trend that's been coming out more and more is that the most wealthy, the most privileged in our society today are far more, far more alienated from the people who their actions cause harm to than might have been the case 50 or 100 years ago, you know, in terms of separate schools and separate communities and, and gated communities. And, you know, that if you if if you go through life only hearing about how everybody loves your product and never hearing about the the harm that your wages cause or that your your factory causes, like you never have that feedback. And today in the world of TikTok and Twitter, you certainly hope, you know, that there's ways to break through. And I'm not for a minute justifying. Like I think often that that kind of ignorance is self-imposed and that makes it very easy to judge. But I think there's a truth there of you have to see that your your actions are causing harm in order to recognize that in order to want to change. And I think we often define someone as being evil by, uh, or sociopathic or whatever it is, by, well, they saw the harm that they were doing and they didn't care. But a character like this raises a very different question of what if you quite literally never see the harm that's being caused? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so... Um... I, I do think that that's where science fiction kind of diverges from uh, real life. And, mm-hmm. y- you know, honestly, maybe we need to ascribe more em- uh, uh, agency to empath, too, in this example, because he he can see, you know, uh, or or like I said with Purple Man, like Purple Man sees the misery on people's faces when he tells them what to do. Like right. he can see the pain he's causing. He chooses to ignore it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's for somebody who you know is is doing terrible things to the real world uh you know that even if there's you know giant social structures in place to make sure that they're blinded from the effects of it there's still ways for them to find it out like i i i i understand the argument that they've Mm -hmm. been you know uh put blinders on and and segregated and and etc alienated from this knowledge but it's out there and you i i think there's you can't you know i i don't think mark zuckerberg is oblivious to the fact that people don't like him uh you know does he care uh does does he find reason to take these people seriously to uh accept their agency and individuality that's not you know that's on him yeah no i think about it more in terms of like the children who are now growing up in those worlds, you know, where they're right. not having any contact. But even so, yeah, there's, you go on TikTok, you go on Twitter, there, there's a degree of willful ignorance that has to be at work there. Yeah. Well, I want to turn this on towards Will. I know we're, we might be jumping a little bit ahead on the agenda here, but uh, I mean, as far as, well, both of you, uh, Matthew, you said you had the uh, experience with the, um, the, camp of uh, the rich new yorkers will you went to a private school with uh, a bunch of uh rich californians mm-hmm. uh and i know that it was an overwhelmingly positive experience for you in so many ways i don't mean to trash the school itself but it seems like maybe you had one or two uh interactions that <laughs> may may uh color your your knowledge of this conflict or this situation uh well i get well my my without calling out anybody in specific (laughs) well it's (laughs) it's more like the experiences were like i guess it it was it was seeing what you could do with money uh to like not have to struggle and it's not Mm. it wasn't necessarily like um 
people's reactions to things were altered because um any one family was worth x amount of dollars with 18 commas in their (laughs) in their bank account but um you know like we had a girl in our class who went snowboarding and uh she ended up breaking both of her wrists and then so for like two weeks instead of struggling to keep up and like have notes uh they had a caretaker follow her around at school for two weeks to take notes for her and like if that happened to me i'm just screwed (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm learning how to write with holding a pencil between two my hands (laughs) to my cast (laughs) just writing really big (laughs) um but like that that's that's not necessarily like uh a, pro- a product of um you know lack of uh empathy towards others or anything like that mm, yeah right well i think in some ways what you're de- what you're talking about is the literal definition of privilege you know it's yeah. the i have never had to worry about something that someone else has had to worry about you know mm-hmm. um yeah and i think i think i've definitely seen that especially in context because you know the reality is i came from a quite comfortable middle to upper middle class family after my parents divorced my mother had major economic problems but my father was and continues to do quite well i went to a private school like the one you're talking about will where relative to the people i was at school with i was on the poor side you know Mm -hmm. i would get made fun of because my family went on vacation to new england instead of going to europe and so i thought if you (laughs) went on vacation to new england that meant you were the poorest person in the world at 10 years old I had an interesting education when I learned that actually talking about my extreme poverty because of this was was not accurate. Um, <laughs> but but I think that I, I think that's the point is that it's so much of what we learn is from our context. You know, it's about seeing yeah. like who has more than us and seeing who has less than us. And when we're only exposed to one or the other or or neither, you don't learn those kind of things. You know, yeah. and I, I I love the way this is phrased, especially because. At the end, Beast isn't sympathetic. Um, <laughs> one of the things I think that's so important to me in ethical conversations is being able to separate the why a person does the things they do versus the effect that they have. You know, and I think like, for example, with pedophiles, you know, uh, is a, a topic that gets discussed a lot. And I, I am a strong, strong proponent of the idea that like pedophilia is a sickness. It is a disease. These are not necessarily yeah. people we should hate. But for them to then say, oh, so therefore we should, like, let them back out into society without any – no. Like, there's an extreme danger that can be caused that – that is presented, and the harm that can be done is horrifically tragic and terrible. And you have to be able to understand, like, you can be sympathetic for why a person does the things they do while also understanding the things they do are not acceptable and we have to protect society from that or however you want to get into it. Um, that's a whole other discussion of criminal justice, but I, I just love the way Beast is able to do that. i able to name like this person is a danger. This person's a problem, but let's also look at why that is. And, and also, you know, when you're in this social, uh, the society of trying to, you know, elevate and, uh, realize the full expression of the individual as a member of your, you know, sort of separatist speciesist uh arrangement here like trying to uh the quote here you know uh uh how to real rehabilitate them without fundamentally rejecting their mutant identity so embracing their this as a matter of identity mm-hmm. this uh this sort of deep distinct antisocial because it is a fundamental aspect to who they are right. and you are uh interested in you know uh maximizing that that is a very fraught conversation <laughs> as yeah. well. And like also within Krakoa, you know, rule number one is kill no man. And I don't think you can like meaning human. Yeah, sorry. Say, yeah, that doesn't that sounds horrifically misogynistic, but I'm getting <laughs> no, more kill, just... Yeah, sorry. Kill the, you're not allowed to kill uh, any humans. And okay. um and there is a conversation around uh that like being involved in an incident where a human ended up killing another human um you know how 
the, so far on paper they have written those off as okay but then if you have someone like empath and he goes and incites a, a 12 v 12 riot where 15 people pass away is he the reason or he's the reason why it happened but is that something that they will exile him for because he mm-hmm. didn't personally kill them right and yeah, it's like I, I there, there's that causes real things yeah. and there's some double standards going on in Krakoa that <laughs> I'm sure I stand out to me from time to time. <laughs> well, and I think this is one of my favorite kinds of argument because, you know, the, obviously he is inciting emotions in people in the way that, like, is, like you said, Steve, science fiction diverges from reality because mm. no one can do that. But then on the flip side, think about how every time we learn about, you know, someone who was radicalized by the right into doing horribly violent things the radicalization process is 100% an attempt to manipulate a person's emotions mm-hmm. and I, I bring this up again not to justify it but to say I think it's easy for us to say either someone like empath created an emotion in you or the emotion is 100% organic and true to you as though it's a binary and that the reality is the, the kind of the things we're doing here with using this as the metaphor, it's a question of degree, not of a whole new reality, because yeah. he might inspire that in whole new ways. But like everything around us is always manipulating our emotions. And as I think so much of human life is a struggle to fight that off and to to recognize that and recognize when we're doing it with others. And I, I, so I just kind of love seeing it in that kind of terms of this isn't something new and totally different. It's doing what advertising does. It's doing what your parents do. It's doing what anyone who gaslights you and manipulates you does, but to the nth degree. Absolutely. Yes, very much so. Will, I appreciate you nodding so emphatically, but that makes pretty bad radio. I just got to point out. (laughs) Oh my God, my bad. Yeah, yes, you're right. Yes, I also agree. Nod, nod, nod. I will say nod from now on. I mean, hopefully I inspire, like, you know, response, not just, you know, blind Mm -hmm. blind, Mm -hmm. blind acceptance. Mm -hmm. But yes, no, I totally get what you're saying. (laughs) I I don't normally record with video on, so it's just an interesting change to, you know, get to see those responses. (laughs) Well, and, and so what – let me actually first ask in the comic, but then we can talk about in real life. What happens then to the character of Empath? Like oh. is this the most – is Beast writing this the most recent thing we have? Do we know no. more about what did they decide to do with him? Yeah. They went on a mission and on their first – okay. So <laughs> uh, there's this other guy, uh, John Greycrow. He's known as Scalp Hunter. He uh, is kind of the field leader for this team of antisocials to sort semi-black ops CIA team. Um, Mm -hmm. He's he's an interesting he's an interesting case in this too ethically because he is you know a guy with a lot to atone for. He is you know he's responsible for a wholesale slaughter of. Uh, innocent mutants back in the 80s called the mutant massacre uh mm-hmm. he was sort of the leader of the the team that did that and outwardly he shows no remorse he's just very like stone-faced uh you know militaristic uh he you get hints of some interiority with him that the the um the series is exploring a lot but he's sort of this test case uh or this sort of other side of the coin from empath of you know where where and when is redemption possible and how but sorry yeah. will go ahead no no you're good uh and <laughs> so in on their first mission gray crow's like if i get the sense that you are using your empath abilities on me i will kill you and uh mm-hmm. empath is like yeah okay and then like five <laughs> pages later he uses his abilities on him and Gray Crow's like, well, and shoots him in the face and kills him. So, uh, <laughs> okay. And th- this is on Krakoa, but, they can bring back yeah. mutants all the time, like, just like at will. They yeah. just can resurrect. De- they've conquered death. And so, you know, a character death doesn't mean it means even less than normal in comics. Okay. And Which so is it's mostly. A very low bar, let's be honest here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I watched uh, Purple Man die. No longer care. Yeah. 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 Non mutants still care. But there's like yeah. three other, four other popular ways of resurrection outside of Krakoa. But within <laughs> Krakoa, death is part of 
your mutant life and they have perfected the process of bringing you back including implanting all of your old memories into your new body uh and so empath so, has to respawn i guess so yeah so yeah. empath <laughs> empath got killed in the first volume that we read like literally in in the they'd like barely walked in the front door where they were doing uh, yeah. their mission like and the second immediately page of the shot second in the issue. face. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. It's, it, it, like, it, it was is... played for laughs. <laughs> yeah. But it's also horrifying. But <laughs> More issues have come out since then, but Steve and I haven't read them yet. And so I don't know where Ampath is, if he's been brought back, if he's still on the team. But yeah. at, as far as me and Steve's canon's concerned, it is, he is dead. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> I, I kind of love that. And yeah. yeah, I love the idea that for him, it would be that instinctual and that hard to restrain, but that also other people would have that response because he, yeah. uh, this may be a topic that you two have strong feelings on that we'll get into some other episode. But, you know, one of my first episodes uh, way back many years ago was on how Professor X is actually one of the like, biggest villains out there because of the way he non-consensionally <laughs> affects people's minds and emotions and feelings all the time. Yes. But on the flip side, I can imagine it being helpful to have someone at the at the X mansion or I guess now Krakoa who people can go to and be like, look, I, I can't get out of this depression. Can you cheer me up or can you help me? Mm-hmm. Or the opposite, like, can you let me feel sad? I feel so numb and I need some way to break through. Like, if it's consensual, that power could be great. Um, you know, uh, or even I would say, like, you know, my next thought would be, or like, yeah, people, when people are feeling super antisocial emotions, helping to calm them down. But that itself just leads to such a dangerous path of, mm. well, but I think I'm helping, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's, it's kind of tangential, but there's this other character from Avengers Academy uh, named Trauma, and he has he's not a mutant, but he has the ability to uh, transform into your fears, and uh, he ends up using that uh, ability to become like a trauma counselor and and like um, therapist. Oh, I can see that to help you work through your fears and like legit like literally face your fears um and it's like that's an application of yeah of a seemingly useless power in a fight <laughs> uh that is um really interesting and and uh i think powers like that and like empaths kind of force a writer to think outside the box in terms of how to right. keep them on screen and so part mm-hmm. of me was disappointed that they killed him off while it was funny but like I, I wanted to see how the author was going to make them a useful character yeah. with that kind of ability I, and that kind of detachment from reality. But And take, maybe in future missions, yeah, maybe we'll get to see that. I mean, taking us back to where we started, I think one of the most interesting sort of parts of the uh, Jessica Jones season one, and I think if I remember correctly, I read Alias like 10, 12 years ago, but I believe this is also part of the Alias comic, uh, comic series. Um, that Jessica at one point tries to get him to use his power for good, you know, in Mm. situations where a person is like holding someone hostage, like telling them Mm -hmm. to stop, telling them not to do things. And we find out at least in the show, and I believe in the comic as well, that Jessica was never really trying to do this in a real way. She was just trying to get him to lower his guard so that he can, she can kill him because she Mm. quite understandably thinks that's necessary. But I remember watching it and being left thinking like, but what if actually that was intentional? Like, could you, because part of what she's trying to do is show him the positive reinforcement of look at the happiness you caused mm-hmm. by saving these people. Isn't that worthwhile? Yeah. And to kind of teach him that can be valuable. And, you know, it kind of leaves an interesting question with both someone like a, a thought controller like Purple Man or a emotion controller like Empath of could positive reinforcement help them to learn a different way to use their powers? Yeah, I, I think it comes down to uh, that character's ability to um, feel that like accomplishment because that, that was kind of what got in the way of um, Kilgrave's arc for that in in the Netflix show it was like well they're not doing what I want <laughs> like I'm not ha- I'm not having a good time with this this is ridiculous I need to do this now and Jessica's like no take your time blah 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 and and like if you can work through that, hurdle then sure maybe (laughs) and and again part of this goes back to the very gendered nature of wish fulfillment power fantasy that you know 
uh you know this this the things that he wants are, are this sort of this type of immediate gratification that uh you know if not just purple girls example but i think in general is, is somewhat gendered yeah i mean like i i think that's and that kind of thing is is something anyone has to learn in terms of you know mm-hmm. okay right now buying this thing right in this moment will make me feel happy right in this moment yeah but after two or three times getting to the end of the month <laughs> and going how in the world do i pay this credit card bill i start to realize maybe that feeling of having enough to pay my credit card at the end of the month is worth putting off that feeling of instant gratification but you have to learn that you know you have to be taught like either through being taught or through experience and yeah and yeah so it's an interesting question i'm I'm just staring at all the Legos directly behind Will as you say (laughs) this. Close my camera. You guys don't need to look at this. (laughs) Listen, listen. That's only the case because you don't see the uh, five boxes of magic cards, uh, you know, in any huge cardboard boxes in the closet behind me. So, Will. uh, Oh, you want to talk about crippling magic card addictions. Ooh, (laughs) boy. I would use the word crippling, but yes, very much so. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, I I poke fun at Will, but I I'm the one to blame. Okay. Yes, <laughs> well, at some point I need to get you. We're Sorry. gonna keep racking up topics I want to discuss with you all because. I have in the past and will in the future discuss the ethics of uh, Magic: The Gathering storylines, and oh, wow. uh, yeah, because I think Jace is a picture of white male privilege, and I can't oh, stand yeah. Jace for it. But we've also had a lot of fun. <laughs> Actually, this might be a fun thing with you all to do with comic book characters is put them all into the color identity from Magic the Gathering. You know, in terms of like... Yes. We did like Han Solo was this and, and all kind of stuff like that. The look on Will's face, I've just blown a, blown a gasket in his head. Anyway, I've now also alienated all of my non-Magic uh, the Gathering players. So, is there anything <laughs> else, uh, want to see if you go first, because Will is still processing that last idea. Um, uh, is there any other kind of last comments you want to make about this topic or last questions to bring up? No, this is a great conversation. I I super stoked on on this. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was, was fun. fun. It th- this is one of the handful of examples that Steve and I, uh, when we're a part when we are recording our pods, we're like, oh, this is great for the ethics boys. We 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 need <laughs> to bring this to them. Uh, ethics boys being Matthew and uh, permanent guest host uh, Paul uh, <laughs> Paul Happy. Yes, <laughs> but um... not a boy in my case. But yes, I understand exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> right. Well, it, it's so great because I love just all, all the interplay we have between these podcasts. And for people who um, maybe haven't heard you before and now want to hear what you all do on your own podcast, uh, give them a quick 411 of how to find that. Uh, yeah, so anywhere you listen to podcasts, whatever your preferred platform is, check out Hype is My Superpower. Uh, Steve and I are both known to get incredibly hype about things that we like to talk about, and we like to talk about the stuff that we read every week. Uh, so hop on over again and, and uh, uh, find us on Facebook and ask us questions so we can have some viewer questions. We've only done a couple, but it'd be great to have some more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nope. yeah. Uh, w- Will's also on Twitch, burgeoning Twitch streamer, twitch.tv slash silver dreamer, silver spelled with a Y. Because I'm an uh, he, he, <laughs> <laughs> he, he builds uh, Legos and Gumpla models and hangs out and is just a generally extremely affable person. So go to that. I make comic books. If you ever want to check that out, you can follow me on Twitter or whatever. It's just my name. Yeah, definitely. We'll have all those links in the show notes, and please check those folks out. Um, if if you kind of thought it was interesting that we could have this whole conversation about Empath and Beast that you could follow without having read the comic books about them, because I haven't either, that really is, a, um, uh, to me, that's the best part about your podcast, is that I have not read 99% of the comic books you talk about, but you explain them in enough detail and then go into talking about them in a way that makes it incredibly accessible. Um which doesn't mean don't read it. Like, you know, I think it's a great <laughs> thing to read them if you can, and I think you'll probably get even more out of it. But if you kind of just want the cliff notes of what's happening in comic books today, you all are a great podcast to listen to. So definitely check it out. Thanks, man. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, uh, give them feedback. Give us feedback. You can find us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, at The Ethical Panda. The Ethical Panda. You can also find our website at theethicalpanda at gmail.com. Uh, I'm sorry, that's that's my email. The like... <laughs> uh, website is theethicalpanda.com. Give us feedback. What do you think of these two characters? What do you think? Could a purple man or an empath be redeemed? Or could they have been raised differently or be taught differently now? Uh, Are we being too sympathetic to them? Should we just look at them as evil? Let us know what you think. I love the feedback. 
Please check out uh, their podcast, this podcast, my other podcast, uh, Star Wars Universe podcast. We're back after a little bit of a hiatus. There's, of course, so many other great podcasts on the uh, Stranded Panda Podcast Network. Great discussions of Marvel stuff, Star Wars, Star Trek, different things going on in media. Uh, starting tomorrow, I'm going to launch uh, Ethics After Dark, in which we're going to start discussing the TV show True Blood, which has an awful lot of ethical issues uh, uh, it brings up along with an awful lot of softcore porn that's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and so Ashley Coffin and I will be discussing that show on all the different levels. Um, but the one thing I also really want to let you all know about is we're still in the midst of this review contest where if you write a five-star review for any of the Stranded Panda podcast shows, that's this podcast, Superhero Ethic, uh, this podcast, Superhero Ethic, Star Wars Universe podcast, uh, Star Trek podcast, Panda Vision, etc. Every time you write a five-star review for one of them and Make an actual review. Don't just say, I love pandas or I, I'm here for the prize. But every time you put a real review in, uh, you will get entered into a raffle that we're going to do at the end of September. And the winner of the raffle can win either an Oculus 2 virtual reality or a Nintendo Switch, both of which are great things to have. And if you write a review for just this show, you get entered once. If you write a review for five shows, you get entered five times. So it's a great thing to do. We always love reviews. Reviews are super helpful. And the reason we're doing this is because reviews help people find these podcasts. So um, even though it's not part of the contest, please also read our review for Hype is My Superpower. Again, after listening to it, not just because I told you to go do it. I'm not Purple Man. Um, but I'm asking you to do that. I One do look, more, Jessica, I do please, Will. I purple vest and tie, I will say. Jessica. But a whole other story there. Right? But so the point is, gosh, I, I love wearing purple. And I've never thought, am I trying to emulate Purple Man? That, it's a great <laughs> color, man. It's a great color. I'm now in all sorts of concerns here. But we're going to put that aside. The point is, go review, hype, go listen to Hype is My Superpower and review it. Review my stuff. Review the other stuff in the Stranded Panda Network. It helps people find us and helps you get entry into a contest. So on behalf of myself, Steve and Will, thank you all so much for being listeners. And have a good day. Take care. Thanks for having us. Bye.